I hope that stirred some emotion within you. If not, we have a portable uh, reviving device <laughs> back here uh, <clears throat> that we keep for situations such as this. I hope these are not just songs that you sing, but the message resonates with you. These are not just banners that we put out once a year. Actually, they are, but <laughs> as we were singing that song, I hope you noticed the one that's up here front and center, Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God that was sacrificed for us, that has won the victory for us. And because of that, this next week, we have a message to share with over 200 children that will be in our care for five days, 15 hours. We'll be able to share that love, that message with those children because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. If, you are, if you are volunteering in Vacation Bible School this, uh, this next week, it looks like, uh, looks like most of our volunteers stayed home getting ready for, uh, 
uh, Vacation Bible School. But if you're one of our Vacation Bible School volunteers, would you stand up? We're going to take some time to, uh, to pray for these individuals just like we did uh, in the first service. And let me, let me say, uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to share your time uh, with us uh, this next week. It is not a small commitment. And uh, there are six ladies who have been working a whole lot longer on this. Uh, than uh, I have or most of our, our volunteers, of course, Jana Fox, um, just, you know, making that decision, knowing what, deciding what VBS would look like uh, this year. Uh, but uh, in addition uh, to Jana, uh, Vanessa Mills, uh, Carol Ann Glasson, Christy Rios, uh, Jennifer Bowman, and Lauren Terry, uh, thank you, ladies, for all of, uh, all of your hard work that has been going on for several months now uh, as we come up to this launching point uh, for, vacation, for Vacation Bible School. And I think we would all agree that technology is a great thing until it's not. And the, the uh, projectors this morning are just one item added to a long list of things that have happened this past week to uh, complicate getting ready, getting ready for, for vacation uh, Bible school. And uh, uh, Intergy has been putting in new poles uh, around here. They may have been doing that around your house, I don't know, but they've been working on it for several months, telling us on three different occasions they were going to cut our power. Never happened. Till Wednesday, you know. We've got volunteers coming up trying to get set up for uh, the marketplace and everything, and, you know, energy, you know, shuts our power. And nothing has worked right since they turned it back on. Uh, internet, air conditioners, computers, copiers, everything has, has just decided to, uh, to go on the fritz. But God has let us know that's not what we depend on. We depend upon him, and he's in charge. So we're going to have 1920-style uh, vacation Bible school this <laughs> next week. <laughs> and, so, and so, but uh, if you would join me in prayer as we pray for these volunteers, as we pray for these children uh, that will be coming, uh, and as we pray for God to move in a mighty way uh, this next week. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you pour out upon us daily. And Father, we thank you for the message of your son, Jesus Christ, that we have the opportunity to share this next week. Father, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, you have made yourself known. And Father, may we share that message of your love of your forgiveness of the eternity that you offer to us father i pray for these volunteers i pray that you'll place your hedge of protection around them around their families father that you'll prepare the hearts of these children to hear the message that is given to them father i pray that you would place your hedge of protection around this campus and that, Father, you would bind Satan and that he would have no influence whatsoever. 
and that, Father, we would see you lifted up and glorified. And at the end of the week, we'll have to step back and say, only, only by the grace of God, only by the power of God did we see happen what is going to happen. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 11. And we're going to wrap up John 11 uh, this week. Uh, today, is, uh, to, uh, today is Payback Sunday. And so uh, back in uh, February, if you'll remember, uh, Raymond was out and I was supposed to speak and I got COVID and Lane wound up having to speak last minute. Well, Raymond is out of town. Lane was supposed to speak. He got sick, not COVID. He's not dying. Last time we had so much confusion of what was going on. He just got a stomach bug, uh, but he called me about mid-morning yesterday and said, tag, you're it. <laughs> and so, and, uh, so, uh, so he, gets his, he gets his payback uh, today. And so, but if you remember last Sunday, uh, Raymond uh, preached uh, out of the earlier verses in John where uh, Jesus raised Lazarus uh, from the dead. Now, Lazarus was not the only person that Jesus raised from the dead, but it was the one that created the greatest stir. It was the one that had the greatest uh, impact. I mean, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he had, uh, he had healed the lame. Uh, he had caused the lame to walk and the blind to see. He had healed lepers. Uh, you know, he had raised uh, people uh, from the dead. But in the book of John, this is, this is the crowning moment of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead that would lead us into Passion Week. This was right before that final week when he would enter into Jerusalem and the final uh, parts of the story uh, would, uh, would be written. And so when we look at these last verses of John chapter 11, it would be very easy just to consider them a conclusion to the great miracle that had just happened. But if we were to do that, it would be a huge mistake because there are really some great things that we need to glean from these final verses of chapter 11. So if you have your Bible uh, there in John chapter 11, if you would join me there at verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people 
rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And he stayed there with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. And so just on the surface, these, these seem like just concluding verses that wrap up the story of the raising of Lazarus. But when Jesus reveals himself as he did by raising Lazarus from the dead, a decision has to be made. You come to a point to where you're either going to believe or you're not going to believe. And we see that in the first couple of verses. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. Now, these were people that were continuing to come because Lazarus had died. Now, we're not sure just why Mary is listed there. Why not Mary and Martha? But, you know, maybe Mary need, needed more consolation. Maybe Mary had more friends. And, you know, Martha was that type A personality, and if you got too close to Martha, she was probably going to put you to work. So people were probably avoiding Martha, so they were coming to take care of Mary. And so these were mourners, these were well-wishers that were coming uh, to, to take care of Mary. It may have been, you know, since Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, this was the new hottest tourist spot. And while people were traveling along, hey, isn't this where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Why don't we stop off and take a gander? So people were still coming, but people were believing. And it wasn't just your average Jew who was believing. There was most likely religious leaders that were mixed into this group of people who were deciding to believe in Jesus Christ, deciding that he was who he said he was. But then there were those who were on the opposite side of the corn. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus did. Nyeh, 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 nyeh. Did y'all see what Jesus did? You know, the tattletales. Those that wanted to stir things up. You guys are in trouble. This guy's really got it going on. Y'all better do something about him or y'all are going to be out of power. So you had those people who were either confused or they didn't believe and they went to the Pharisees and were telling them what Jesus was doing. I just saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, but the religious leaders are saying he's not who he says he is. I don't know which way to go. 
But you've got to go one way or the other. You're either going to make a choice to believe or you're going to make a choice not to believe. And we see that happen by those who believed who he was and those who didn't. And so the chief priest and the Pharisees, they convene the Sanhedrin. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, those that, I mean, they didn't like each other. They were on two totally different pages. But they all come together for this one cause, to decide what are we going to do about this man called Jesus. So they come together and they say, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? So they were willing to admit that he was doing many signs. Now they accused him of being Satan, working for Satan, being crazy, anything to discredit him, anything to try and explain away what he was doing. But they were willing to admit that he was doing signs, but they were not willing to admit that he was the Son of God. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now we get down to the crux of the matter. It doesn't have anything to do with who Jesus is. It has to do with what Jesus can possibly take away from them. And that if the Romans get involved, they're going to come and take their place. What does that mean? They're going to come and they're going to take away the temple. They don't care about the temple. They just care about what the temple, the power that the temple gives to them and what they can control. But he's going to, they're going to take away our temple and they're going to take away our nation. They're going to take away our people. We're not going to have any authority anymore. If we let this guy keep doing what he's doing, everybody's going to follow him, which they don't know it, but it wouldn't be a bad thing. But everybody's going to follow him, and we're going to be left out with no influence, no power, no money. He's going to take it all away from us. And if he doesn't, the Romans will. So they have to make a decision. What are we going to do with this man? We're going to kill him. That's what we're going to do. We're going to kill him. But then you have Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas is not listed as one of your typical prophets. He's definitely not an Old Testament prophet. But he makes one of the most prophetic statements, and he doesn't even know it. And so Caiaphas who is really a puppet. He is, the, chief, he is the, the, uh, the high priest, but he's the high priest that has been appointed by Rome. Now, back in the day, the high priest was typically appointed for life, kind of like the Supreme Court. Once you got in, hey, you were there. You were good. But not when Rome took power. They were like, it's too dangerous to have one, one person in power for that long. So Caiaphas's father-in-law was the former high priest. And he was actually 
the guy behind the scenes really running the show, kind of like the Godfather. So he is really behind Caiaphas, directing Caiaphas which way he should go. And if it wasn't him, it was the Roman government. So Caiaphas is listening to his father-in-law, but also trying to keep the Roman government happy. And so he was really a puppet. He was really not the high priest of God because he was doing everything in opposition to God. But Caiaphas, is, Caiaphas comes to them and he says, you know nothing at all. And then listen to this next statement. You're not considering that it is to your advantage. Oh, he had no idea. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. Amen. Because one man, because the Son of God sacrificed his life, it is to our advantage. And from a Jewish standpoint, the nation would be just the Jewish nation. But from our perspective, from a Gentile perspective, God sent his Son to die for the whole world. And Caiaphas didn't even know what he was saying. The people that he was saying it to didn't even understand what he was saying, but it was the most prophetic statement that could ever be made. It is to your advantage that one man perish so that we might have eternal life, so that we might be restored to a right relationship with our Creator, with our Holy Father. And it tells us that Caiaphas did not say this on his own. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So for raising Lazarus from the dead, making the lame to walk, the blind to see, healing the leper, speaking the truth, calling them out, what were they going to do with Jesus? We're going to kill him. What are you going to do with Jesus? See, we all come to that point to where we have to make a decision. What are we going to do with this man called Jesus Christ when he reveals himself to us? You have to make a choice. There's no maybe. There's either yes or no. Because God says, if you're not for me, you're against me. There's no riding the fence. There's no sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, let's see how it goes, and then, you know, whichever team seems to be winning, then I'll, 
I'll, I'll, jump on, I'll jump on that team. No. You have to make a choice. We don't like to be told we have to make a choice. We don't like to be told what to do. But when Jesus reveals himself to you, you have to make a choice. You have to choose. The religious leaders made their choice. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. Just on the surface, it's like, okay, well, Jesus is scared, man. He's getting out of there. He's heard what's happening. He heard what's coming down. He's getting out of Dodge. Jesus never ran. Jesus knew the script. And nobody was going to take his life from him. He was going to willingly Offer it up. He decided the time. He decided the place. How many times do we see in Scripture where they were about to stone him and he just walks through the crowd and goes about his way? Or they're going to arrest him. It kind of makes me think sometimes uh, I'm a big... uh, um, yeah, I'm a really big fan. I just lost the, gosh, I hate it when that happens. It's a Wonderful Life. I'm a big It's a Wonderful Life fan. We watch it every Christmas. And it always kind of makes me think of that scene where the police officers are uh, wrestling the angel down to the ground. And, uh, and then he just disappears, you know. Jesus was going to decide when he was going to be arrested. Jesus decided when he was going to be crucified. They didn't take his life from him. He offered it up willingly. And so when it says he withdrew, he wasn't running. He was preparing. He knew what that Passover week was going to have in store for him. He knew what it would be like for his disciples And so I think he was going to continue to prepare his disciples, continue to prepare himself in the presence of his father before he made that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then John tells us that the Jewish Passover was near and that many were coming into Jerusalem from the countryside to purify themselves and get ready for the Passover. Historians tell us that at any given time on a holy festival, at a time of festival in Jerusalem, there was over a million people in the city. Something tells me for this one, there was a million plus. There was a lot more because Jesus had created quite the stir. And people were like, hey, we need, to, we, we need to go. Because what did they know? Jesus up to this point had attended every religious festival. Why would he not be at this one? 
And it was almost kind of like people knew it was coming down to the showdown. It was time, you know, it, it, it was time for the religious leaders and Jesus to face off. So something tells me there was quite a few more people than there were typically. And they were hanging around the temple and they were asking one another, what do you think? You think he's going to come? I don't think he's going to come. You think he's going to come? Yeah, you really think he's going to come? Because the religious leaders had made it known, hey, if you see Jesus, you better tell us. I'm sure there was a reward. There was probably wanted posters plastered all over the city, wanted dead or alive. They wanted him bad. And the people knew it. And they were wondering, do you think he's going to come? Do you think he's going to show up? Do you think he's man enough to show up? I don't know if he was man enough to show up, but he was God enough to show up. And do you realize that it took them all the way to the end of the week before they could actually lay their hands on him? He chose the time. He chose the place and gave himself up willingly. So we could take these last verses of John and we could just make them a conclusion to the raising of Lazarus. Or we can take these verses and we can see the prophecy that is laid out here and see that they point to something even greater. They point to a resurrection that will take place, a conquering of the grave. Yes, Friday was a dark time. But as Carmen has placed it, Sunday was on the way. And when we sing songs like Behold the Lamb, that's the story that it's telling. That's the message that those songs preach that the Lamb has won the victory. He's won the victory for you and for me. And that when He reveals Himself to us, He desires for us to choose Him. If you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's no greater decision that you could ever make. And if Jesus has revealed himself to you this morning, you do. You have a decision to make. You're either going to believe or you're not. He's begging that you will. He's begging that you will believe.
But for those of us who are already believers, we have a choice to make as well. Each day, we have to choose what are we going to do with this man called Jesus? Are we going to live our lives according to the way he desires for us to live our life? Or, you know, it's Monday through Saturday, and so I kind of do my own thing, and Sunday I'll, I'll go make my appearance and live my life for Jesus on Sunday. So see, even as believers, we have a choice to make. So this morning I do ask you, whether you're a believer or you're not, what are you going to do with this man Jesus? Because whether you know it or not, it's the only question on the test. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, and we thank you for your son that you sent to die on a cross for me, for us. And Father, that he gave his life willingly that he shed his blood that we might be restored to a right relationship with you. Father, we are so grateful for that. And I pray that we would not take it for granted. but we would see that it is the greatest gift that has ever been given and is the greatest gift that we can share. It is the greatest story ever told. Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy that you do pour out upon us daily. And may we not leave here today without answering the question, what will we do with you? In your name we pray, amen. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you would like to speak to one of our ministers, uh, we'll be, ministers will be out in the foyer and we would be more than happy to, uh, to visit with you. Uh, or if you just need someone to pray with you, uh, we'll be happy to do that, uh, that as well. But thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's stand together as we're dismissed. Author.